Welcome back to the program. It's often been conventional wisdom that the military is always fighting the current war based on lessons learned from the previous one, that we used centralized World War II tactics in Vietnam, and it didn't work. We used the lessons of Vietnam and Iraq, and it didn't work. But the fact is that today there's a whole new breed of military tacticians and strategists whose ideas come not from the last war, but from the creative destruction of places like Silicon Valley and our most advanced and cutting-edge business schools. Ideas that eschew top-down, large organizational command and control, and instead respond to the need to collaborate, to be nimble, and embrace a small-team-oriented approach to management. In today's military, much of the movement in this direction has come from the work of General Stanley McChrystal and his team. As the leader of the Joint Special Operations Command, this new approach was essential in fighting an enemy who itself was decentralized. But it was an approach that had to first break down traditional silos, rethink the link between communications and command, create a flatter organization amidst a culture that was built on top-down, and bring flexibility to an institution that revered tradition. All of these are ideas that also apply to business today. Now General McChrystal and his team at Crosslead have combined these ideas and are applying them to everyday business situations, and now they share them in their new book, Team of Teams. We're joined today by one of the members of General McChrystal's team, David Silverman. David is the co-founder and chief executive officer of Crosslead, which he founded with General McChrystal back in January of 2011. David's vision has been responsible for much of Crosslead's transformation, starting from the company's founding in the General's living room and growing into its present state as a leading management and leadership consulting firm. It is my pleasure to welcome David Silverman here to talk about Team of Teams, New Rules of Engagement for a Complex World. David, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Jeff, for having me. I really appreciate it. It's great to have you here. Many years ago, the uh, management expert Peter Drucker talked about how culture often eats strategy for lunch. Talk a little <laughs> bit about that and, and really the nature of trying to change culture, even though you know you have good, sound strategic and tactical ideas. Yeah, no, Peter Drucker n nailed it. At the end of the day, my personal experience has been that no plan or strategy survives first contact in warfare. We have a, a saying called Murphy's Law, which says that everything that can go wrong will go wrong in the, in the fog of war in the battlefield. And that was certainly consistent with my deployments overseas as a Navy SEAL flying for like more or less the last 10 or 15 years of conflict. And, and what it really is about is you've got to have a very, very fundamentally sound and adaptive, agile team if you're going to be successful in environments that are unpredictable. And what Team of Teams is about is how you take those small unit agile capabilities and then bring it together as a collective and make it operate on a much larger scale than was previously uh, able to based on old processes for how you let it manage. And that transformation that experience that we went through, that difference you described previously between World War II tactics and procedures and what we think is relevant for the information age environment that we're in today is what Team of Teams captures. And to what extent do you have to be, even within, within that conceptual framework, ever nimble for changes that continue to take place in the business and management and strategic environment? 
Yeah, so, so Crossly, the framework, is designed to sustain change, to sustain adaptability at its pure state. So you're the right thing at the right time constantly. It's the, 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 the comparable for Silicon Valley is, is Agile or Scrum, where you create feedback loops of information exchange so that the organization can constantly learn and adjust to be the right thing at the right time constantly. Where did you find the inherent pushback as you started to, to incorporate these things, you and the general, within the military structure? Well, we have very proud, capable units with rich heritages and traditions, a lot of which were very different. So if you look at the special operations community, which is really where this transformation took place, um, and the learnings and the awareness that, 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 that ensued, it was the SEALs, the Rangers, and Delta Force as your main cast of characters. And what you had there was groups that were very pride, were basically individual tribes who wanted to effectively compete against their, themselves for operations or missions. And in the old days, that was fine because the operations came on, on a, a relatively infrequent basis and the adversary and the environment, while it was still complicated, more or less, you could operate independently and be successful as a bunch of elite individual units. Well, now you add in the complexity after 9-11 and the realization that there's so many other agencies and all of government that are involved in un uncovering this, this puzzle. So we're talking about the CIA, the FBI, the NSA. Different people had all these pieces of information, but they couldn't bring it together because of the institutional resistance that existed in these different tribes. I mean, down to the fact that our ability to email between each other was, was not even possible. The networks were designed not to communicate with each other. So we had to find a way to break all this down and start sharing and collaborating on information so that we could be collectively more intelligent. So we could put the pieces together to figure out what we need needed to do. We believe that every organization that's large struggles with some levels of silos and bureaucracy and that ultimately the solutions to their problems isn't something external to them to solve. It's all internal. They can solve most of their problems from the internal resources they currently have as long as they can harness it. Crossfit allows organizations to do that. Is there a conflict between communications which need to exist in this larger framework so that everybody is part of the information? and the breakdown of smaller teams with specific missions and information being on a need-to-know basis. Where does that all, where is the nexus in all of that? Well, there's always going to be information that's sensitive that does need to be compartmentalized for a bunch of reasons. So for us, it was life and death, usually around sources of where we got information from. So if those were compromised, and obviously the ability to, to get new sources and good information was going to be really tough. But that said, we found that most organizations take that to the extreme because they operate under a premise that if you know something before somebody else, then you have influence, power, control, or a competitive advantage from that. What we found was the opposite to be true. You can know something before somebody else, but ultimately, if you can't connect all the dots and then move or pivot or create a better product or capability set, then ultimately you're going to fail. And failure wasn't really something that was, was something that we, any of us wanted to accept. So, we had to find a way to basically start sharing information and going across that, that what we call the 50 yard line to get people to want to be a part of something that was bigger than themselves. And what we found was, this is the root revelation was the ability to connect became far more influential in driving and influencing decisions that were being made and operations that were being conducted than the ability to control information in a siloed environment. If one looks at the traditional models of warfare, if you go and, I mean, go back to, to reading Sun Tzu and Clausewitz and, and really sort of studying some of the fundamentals, how much of that is applicable to this modern day approach? 
Well, I, I think the lessons of, uh, of yesterday and some of those wars are still very much applicable. If you have a large nation state with a center of gravity where basically war is just an extension of politics and eventually it has to return to politics, well, then a lot of those efficiency-based systems work. Now, if you look at the counterinsurgencies that have happened over the years, some of which Sun Tzu captures in his works, but also that you've seen throughout you know, history of warfare, you have a very different set. Now, in the old days, though, you could find centers of gravity, kind of focus effort, and bring mass to bear for your advantage. That was basically the lessons of, of, that started really with Napoleon and manifested for the next hundred years. This war is different. The fact that technology has advanced so fast and that individuals are connected on a global scale, they have unprecedented influence over what can happen in a dynamic. And so because of that, you've got to operate differently. That's what we believe. So all the things that make you efficient, you still have to have. They're just no longer sufficient for today's environment. Talk a little bit about the loop that you guys are involved in. In many ways, you've taken business ideas and applied them to, to military situations, and then you've used the experience in the military and combat situations to then turn around and reapply them to business. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, it's been remarkable. You know, when we when we were overseas trying to figure out how to, how to adjust and adapt, we would basically call on experts from wherever we could get them to figure out what we were doing wrong and how we need to do something different. There was no grand strategy. There was no great visionary. What we had was a leader in Stammer Crystal who knew that what we were doing was not working. And then you had a group of younger individuals like myself who said, this is no longer acceptable because we're burying friends. And so we had to change. And so we reached out to academia, to industry, to you name it, to try to figure out, is there a better way to operate to solve these problems? We've since then come back and really spent a lot of time thinking about what was it? What was the it that made us so effective in this new environment? And we took over the last four years, we've been working with lots of companies helping them deal with the same complexity. And we've captured all those lessons and put it into this book, Team of Teams. Ultimately, that we believe comes into a succinct and scalable and repeatable framework called Crosslead. Talk a little bit about the corporate applications of this, some of the companies that, that you've helped using these principles. Well, a great example we use in the book is on, on Ford Motor Company. If you look what Alan Malawi did when he went and created one Ford, it was breaking down the existing brand, brand silos that existed in the organization, bringing people together in his one Ford meeting on a, on a weekly or monthly basis to start sharing the learnings across the enterprise so that people in Europe could benefit from the learnings in America and vice versa. This allowed the collective organization to, to get much better, much faster than otherwise would have done in individual silos. We apply the same fundamentals, but on a larger and more consistent scale with every company that we work with now. They're all struggling with dealing with consumers that have immense power and control and influence because they're all connected today. So because of that, no longer can they dictate the terms to the consumer. In fact, the consumer dictates the terms to the companies. And so it's forcing organizations to become much more nimble and more agile to be responsive and maintain competitive advantages in this landscape. On the other side of it, how does what you've learned from dealing with business and the way these things have worked or not worked or needed to be adapted in certain situations, how would that change some of what you would do today on the battlefield? Well, there's, there's a lot we would do differently. The, the big advantages that we see that businesses have is they tend to have much more control over their internal operations and workings, everything from incentives to promotions um, to how they hire, when they hire. A lot of that is still a systemic 
challenge for the larger government that has to deal with these problem sets. So I think there's a tremendous amount still that needs to be learned by the government on how to work more collectively as a team and make these adjustments much faster than they are that will properly incentivize the behavior to collaborate and be more successful. How does this organizational approach apply on a small scale to startups, for example? How is it applicable in that framework? So for startups, this is a great question. Startups to us are like those individual SEAL platoons or Al-Qaeda units. They tend to have very, very agile systems organic to them because they, they usually work in open environments where they're highly collaborative, so they're all sharing information, and there tend to be high degrees of trust because these people are coming out of these universities starting something in a garage or a dorm room or a mother's basement and they're going through that shared experience where they're creating these bonds that are that are it's just really hard to replicate so the challenge that the startups have is the same challenge we found ourselves in which is as they get bigger they become less predictable and less efficient and so they start to organize based on management and leadership philosophies that have governed the way businesses operate for the last 150 years that drive efficiency the risk risk there is you lose what made you great. So for, for startup companies that we work with, high growth companies that we work with, the real key is let's put the foundation, the framework in place right now that allows for your scale without disrupting the core advantages that you currently have at this size. You raise an interesting question in there, which is the link between this approach to management that we've been talking about and how it has to change leadership within that framework. Yeah, so this is, this is probably one of the... Um, the best parts of, to me about, about the book is, is sort of the later chapters on what it means to be a leader today. So when we think of leaders traditionally, we think of these, these icons like Steve Jobs and, you know, uh, you know, uh, the Packards and, and Hewlett's and, of the world where they are titans of industry. They can see things out in advance and they're moving pieces around a chessboard in a, in, in, in a strategic type mindset. The reality that we find today is that because you can't predict anything that's going to happen anymore, you've got to now kind of take yourself out, instead of being the brain of the organization, you've got to put yourself in the middle of your organization and be the heart. And what we mean by the heart is you've got to push the information and learnings across the organization as quickly and as fast as possible to make it near to real time. And by doing that, then you unlock the potential for the individuals at different parts of your organization to make decisions on their own with better context and better awareness of what they need to do. So the skill sets needed to be successful there are less about being a subject matter expert or functional excellence. It's more about what we would call softer skills, things like connecting, inspiring and motivating, having empathy and understanding what other people believe and want, being a really good communicator, being incredibly self-aware. Those types of skill sets become much more decisive than, say, for us, how well Stan McChrystal shot a rifle, which really wasn't relevant in, in Afghanistan at the level of command he was at. And certainly these are things that filter up from what's going on in business schools and even what's going on in education below business schools. We hope so. We hope that, you, that the infusion that these veterans are learning coming back in society and the lessons they're pulling from industry now becomes that feedback loop that you were describing earlier that helps regenerate and reorganize America's transformation and really global business transformation, not just in how we make money as an economy, but how we solve really complicated problems. If you look at like, the problems that are going on today, there's just a total failure for, for people to come together, put their egos aside, and trust each other to start collaborating and find the solutions to the answers. Things like education and healthcare and the rest of these, these are all very solvable issues if we harvest the collective potential and wisdom of, of the crowd. Is there any value anymore 
in looking at the traditional sort of centralized business structure, the Frederick Winslow structure, does that have any value anymore, or do we just have to put that to pasture entirely? Well, what I would say is um, the contributions of lean, which you know, kind of came out of Frederick Winslow Taylor, which was about how you drive efficiency, are still really, really important. It's just no longer sufficient. So it's not an either or. It's really both. So you've got to be efficient, and you've got to have systems that drive efficiency and consistency, especially if you're building a product or delivering a service. But if you can't also be adaptive, then it doesn't really matter how efficient you are. And that's the case we're trying to make is that in a complicated world, efficiency is paramount. In a complex world where things are unpredictable, now you've got to have efficiency because that creates the space and time you need to make the adjustments. But you have to have the feedback loops in place so that you can learn at a much faster rate so you can make adjustments. So you've got to have both. They, 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 are, they happen together. What are you seeing as you look at it in, in a corporate framework and even in the military framework in terms of those that are seeped in the old traditions and how possible it is for them to make these adjustments? Well, I think what the institutional model that people have kind of grown up with was, is basically can be summarized in if you know something before somebody else, you have an advantage a competitive advantage in any situation that you're in. And so there's great pride and ownership and kind of like controlling information. And it, that's a really hard change to make, especially if you're at more senior in the organization, because change is terrifying and, and makes you potentially irrelevant. We found was that we, that was, we had a platform because people were dying that basically forced us to break that down as quickly as possible. And what the result was, and what we're trying to capture is the lessons in team of teams is that if you share and you can connect with your people, you're actually going to get be much more productive and capable and everybody's going to collectively win. But it's a mindset shift to basically say that sharing is now power instead of knowledge is power. The ability to connect into a larger enterprise and contribute is a much bigger impact than knowing something in a, in a siloed, you know, bureaucratic system. The corollary of that is people having to learn whole new ways to collaborate. That's right. And, and, and it's, the good news is the technology that exists today really lends well to creating the ability to collaborate. I mean, these were things that were hard to do before, um, you know, sharing information around. In fact, when we, when Stan McChrystal first took over the task force in Iraq back in 2003, he did what we call a battlefield circulation or a listening tour where he ran around the different parts of the organization to kind of see what was happening on the ground and how that compared to what the observations were back at the headquarters. And what he realized was you had these, this, it looked like an hourglass. You had had great things happening down at the tactical level. You had great things happening at the at the headquarters level, but the two weren't connected. And some of that was limited and constrained by communication capability sets. So we invested a ton of resources to allow the the information to flow up and down seamlessly. And then we put a disciplined, we call battle rhythm or operating rhythm in place that forced that communication to happen on a consistent basis. The result was it unlocked all this potential that we talked about in, by creating shared consciousness that then allowed leaders to empower. For organizations today, they have the benefit of having a lot of that technology being almost commercialized and, 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 and very, very inexpensive compared to what it was 10 years ago. How does human nature and internal politics, which we see in all organizations, how does that impact this and how can it be harnessed to be a positive force within the framework that you're talking about in Team of Teams? Well, you know, the key, the key for these individual stakeholders is to, to make this shift to understand that you, you can no longer win individually. 
And so you try to take the same competitive spirit that exists in, in the integrity of a small unit that has a lot of pride and ownership and has, you know, some, some, you know, maybe a magnanimous leader and say, look, if you're going to be successful today, you've got to be able to work with your counterparts across your organization and effectively in real time that unless the team wins, you can't win anymore because in today's environment, everything's so interconnected that you can't have success in the sales team and then, and then and have marketing fail or have like the production team. Everybody's going to lose if, if, if you can't make this work. Is the military continuing to move forward in this direction? I mean, now that General McChrystal's not there anymore and you guys have moved on to other things, is this something continuing within the context of the military today? In the special operations um, community, in the task force, I believe the answer to that question is yes. We're on our fourth generation now of leaders managing this fight, and the systems that were put in place back in 2003 are still exist today. If you go look at some of these great leaders like Bill McRaven, John Botel, and Tony Thomas that are leading these units now, they are still using all the same framework and fundamentals that existed you know, 12, 13 years ago that Stan put in place. And are you seeing continued success using these methods? I, we have. On, on, again, it all depends on where you sit. So from the special operations vantage point, the capability set is still very much there to, to address these issues. Now, they're part of a much larger apparatus that decides what we do and how we do it that I would say still is, has, has some work to be done on, on this, this collaboration and interoperability. And talk a little bit finally about the business framework and how business leaders, corporate leaders today are embracing this. What are you finding as you're out there talking to them and, and, and pitching this? Well, what we see from every leader we talk to is they're struggling with this new environment. They're struggling to figure out that what made them successful yesterday is no longer going to make them successful tomorrow, and they got to they got to change. And you know, in the old days, they were grasping for uh, you know a solution. Let me let me get a, a management consulting firm in here that's a subject matter expert that can give me the prescription on how to solve this problem. Unfortunately, by the time that prescription is developed and delivered, it starts to become antiquated. It has a much shorter half-life than any time in, in, its, in, the, in the past because things are changing so much faster now. And we believe the rate of change is only going to increase. And so the leaders that are starting to become very aware of this are all looking for, okay, what's the next thing? Like, I've, I've got a fun, I, there's not a solution for this. I've got to fundamentally create a capability set inside of my organization so that we can solve our own problems continuously because there's no way we can either keep spending or making these optional adjustments. I've got to leverage my, my team of teams to be successful. So there's been a, there's been a significant good reception that we've seen across leaders that are working in complex environments. David Silverman, he's the co-author with General Stanley McChrystal of Team of Teams, New Rules for Engagement for a Complex World. David, I thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate the time. Thank you. We'll take a break. I'll be right back.